Good morning, church. It's good to be with you. It's a privilege to share God's word with you one more time after six uh, amazing years together with the Desch family and Grace Redeemer Church. If you would um, think to pray for us, in the next few weeks, our family will be moving. We will be uh, getting our kids settled in South Carolina schools, which start uh, a lot sooner, August 22nd, um, and uh, just a lot of transitions coming up, so we would covet your prayers. But I am so grateful for this opportunity to look into God's Word with you one more time. If you could please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's page 540, 541 in the Bible, in front of, in the seat bottom in front of you. I'm going to read verses 11 to 17. This is God's word. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy, and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun in the place of judgment. Wickedness was there in the place of justice. Wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Let's go into God's presence in prayer. Heavenly Father, we sit under your holy, inspired inerrant word now, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing not just our minds, but our souls, speaking your truth, the truth that we so desperately need to hear, the only truth that can rescue us from our rebellion to you. We pray that you would be our teacher, that your spirit would be present in a powerful way this morning. Lord, that you would show us our need to trust and obey, that that is the point of life. And we pray, O oh God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Three things from our text this morning. News from a far country, eye-calling our lives, making the most of our days. By the way, eye-calling our lives, that's from the, the iCal program on Apple Computers. And I've already found out that my new church is not an Apple computer church, so you can pray for me. And as I, as I make that painful adjustment, um, South Carolina. First of all, news from a far country. There's this verse that we know. We've heard it before. God has set eternity in the human heart. And the meaning of the verse is fairly obvious. I think we all know, right, when we read it. In other words, every person who's ever lived has a sense that this life is not all that there is. And I don't mean that, of course, there haven't always been those who deny God and deny the reality that um, life will ca carry on. There have always been atheists, probably always will be. 
But within every human heart, there is this awareness, this sense that the material world is not all that there is. And that ultimately, death is not the end. God has given us this sense. We see pointers. We see road signs. C.S. Lewis called this sense. It's almost like a news from a far country, this awareness that this is not all there is. We see pointers all over the place. When we see beauty, we look at the, the palisades, the cliffs, or we look at the Rocky Mountains or the Grand Canyon or any, any natural beauty, we have this sense, wow, this is incredible. And we may have heard the argument, well, it's just random and it doesn't mean anything and it's all going to burn away and cease to exist, but we have this sense in our hearts, no, this is, this is incredible. This is art and there's an artist and that's God. He made everything. We see creativity. We see the incredible capacity of humanity to um, use the natural world to create things and to invent things. And we see the creativity of creation, the diversity of creation. And we know this, this isn't random. This isn't pointless. Rather, God made this. We see love. Love between us and God through Jesus. Love between humans. And we see that surely this is not simply some survival instinct or some whatever, but rather this points to a greater reality that the world as we see it is not all that there is. Eternity is in our hearts. If you read history in the last few hundred years, particularly when the Industrial Revolution came, but it's carried on, as man has increasingly become a master of nature, you know, inventing all of these incredible things, airplanes, computers, the combustible engine, all this stuff. So many leading thinkers have said religion will eventually die. Well, it may take a little while, but eventually certainly people will give up on these myths about God and other things, and we'll realize that all we have is the material world. But according, not surprising, according to the Bible, this sense that this life is not all there is, this sense that we were made for more, this sense that eternity is in our hearts has not gone away. In fact, it's interesting. If you look at the Pew Forum, probably the leading researchers on religion in the world, religion is actually increasing all over the world. Religious religiosity, um, even as we more and more move into a Jetson world where robots will one day get us a cup of coffee and vacuum and mow the yard and everything, and I'm sure some of that's going to be nice. Um, people sense that science cannot explain it all has not gone anywhere. In fact, it seems to be growing. Perhaps it's somewhat to a degree people's just um, re- realization that science can't provide all the answers that it's limited, that we know so little. Religion is growing. It's not dying at all. Let me share the story of a remarkable man named Martin Pistorius. I came across this recently. Martin Pistorius grew up in the 1980s in South Africa. He was an inquisitive, uh, very bright young man. He was into electronics and creating things. And, and at, but at the age of 12, his life t- took an unexpected turn. He came down with a strange illness. The best guess from the doctors, they didn't know for sure what, it, what the illness was, that it was a form of meningitis. Martin progressively got worse. 
Eventually, he lost his ability to move by himself, his ability even to make eye contact, and finally, he lost his ability to speak. And his parents, Rodney and Joan, were told by the doctors that he was as good as a vegetable. They, the hospital told them to take Martin home to keep him comfortable until he died. But to quote Martin's mom, Martin just kept going. He didn't die. His father, Rodney, would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to get him dressed, load him in the car, and take him to the special care center where he would leave him for the day. Eight hours later, I'd pick him up, bathe him, feed him, put him in bed, and set my alarm for two hours so that I'd wake him up to turn him so he didn't get bed sores, Rodney says. This was, this was Rodney and Joan Pistorius' life for 12 years. But then gradually, some things began to happen. They, they realized that Martin um, was showing more signs of being present, of not being in a, a state of being a vegetable. And, and he would start to pass various cognitive tests indicating that he was there. Well, today, Martin Pistorius, um, he cannot uh, verbally speak. He, he can speak through a computer. Today, he is married. He has a degree in um, software engineering. He started his own company. And he's doing incredible. He's written a book about his life. He has basically completely come out of this coma that he was in. It's interesting. He says that within the first two years of, of slipping into this illness, he said he was aware of some things going around him. He wasn't totally in a, in a state of um, not being aware. And uh, he, said, he said that actually he grew to hate the show Barney because, because this is what would happen. They'd drop him off at the special care center and they would just put on uh, children's cartoon reruns. Um, not, and he, says, he said, I, I cannot tell you how much I hated the show Barney. So um, some of you can relate perhaps. But um, Martin Pistorius came out of a coma after 12 years. It's an incredible story. I'll tell you this, church. When we, when we die and we, we go to meet our maker, every human being will have a sense that we always knew that there was a God. For those who know God and believe in him, it will be a homecoming. But for others, it may feel a little bit like coming out of a coma a spiritual coma, as it were. But no one will say, God, I had no clue you were present. I had no clue there was more to life. Every single soul made in God's image will know, will have this realization, just like Martin, when he could not communicate, but he was present. So every person will know that there is a God. And they will say, you know what? Honestly, I always knew. Perhaps I denied it. I fought against it. I tried to explain it away through the best arguments, but yeah, at the end of the day, the reality that there is a God and that I will continue to exist beyond this life was always present in my life. C.S. Lewis says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. This is that news from this far country that we all are aware of, and that country that we long for is when we know God, 
when we're in right relationship with him, when we have turned from our sin and embraced Jesus in faith. That's the country that we long to be in. That's the country that we hear news of. And the gospel is the message. It's the roadmap. It's the way home to be with God. This is why G.K. Chesterton can make this quote. I think it's so fascinating. He says, look, some people hope that there's something beyond the grave. But he said, he said this sense that there's this hope, this desire for something beyond this life, he says it's not really just a hope. It's also a memory. It's also a memory. There's just this sense that we know it's there. It's a memory of that which was lost when we entered into sin and we rebelled against God. Well, we'll all, we'll all stand before God. And there will be those who have given their life to Christ and embraced the gospel and those who don't. All of us, though, will know in that moment uh, that eternity was in our hearts. Well, we know that, but we find ourselves living in a frustrating world. That's what the author of Ecclesiastes keeps coming back to, doesn't he? Vanity, vanity, it's all va- vanity, it's meaningless. He, he is wrestling here in this book with the reality of the futility of life, the struggle that we have with sin. And so we, we try to deal with that, and we do different things to try to deal with it. One, one way that we deal with it is we try to schedule our lives, so we iCal our lives. We, we try to stay organized. We try to plan our day, our week, our summer, even our year by um, organization, by putting everything down on the calendar. Nothing wrong with that. We take out insurance to protect ourselves, our loved ones, and our possessions. Nothing wrong with doing that. But the author of Ecclesiastes, he makes these statements here. He says in verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. No one can fathom. In other words, we can try to control, we can try to understand, but ultimately God is sovereign. We won't understand everything about the world and how God has created it. He says in in verse 15, whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. In other words, this idea there's nothing new under the sun. We can try to create, we can try to control, but ultimately God is sovereign is the point. God is sovereign. He's controlling everything around us. And there are are realities of life that we can't understand and we can try to manipulate and try to control. And these are not bad things when we're planning and other things, but ultimately the question is, Will we submit to God's will and his sovereign rule over our lives? Proverbs 16, 9 says this. See it up on the screens. In their their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs 16, 9. Some of you know a little bit about our story. It was over six years ago. Betsy and I were living in St. Louis, uh, Missouri, finishing up Covenant Theological Seminary and seeking out God's will. God, what do you want for us? Where are you calling us? And, uh, you know, I'm the one here with the title um, pastor, uh, but if you guys know me at all, uh, you know that I've always viewed um, everything I'm doing in ministry as, as a partnership with my wife, who God has given so many gifts to. And And so we're entering into this partnership of ministry, this calling, and we're, we're looking, and um, 
here, you know, the honest truth is we weren't looking to come to New Jersey. It wasn't because we'd watched a lot of episodes of Jersey Shore or something like that, um, and we were afraid it wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. Um, the truth is Jersey wasn't even on, really on our radar. Um, you know, we hadn't, I had never had a dream of living in the metro New York area or anything like that. Uh, but we're, we're looking. And actually, I, I still remember the moment. I know Betsy does too. We looked at the posting for the job I have now, and we looked at it, and we, we laughed for a few seconds, not because of the church or anything, but because we thought, I'm not qualified for this job. And uh, we moved on. And you know how God works? Well, eventually, I get a call. You should apply for this job. And, you know, six years later, what do you say? But we love you all, and you've been so good to us. And, you know, when I was in South Carolina, when we were there recently interviewing, you know, I thought to myself, you know, yeah, there's some things we're going to enjoy about being down there, but there's some things we're going to miss about New Jersey, too. All right. We're going to miss, um, you know, proximity to a world-class city. We're going to miss a diverse culture. You know, I also had the humiliating experience of pumping my own gas in South Carolina, and even though I did this as a younger man, I'd forgotten about that, and that's one, one thing we've got figured out here really well, but I'll tell you this, okay, that's not what we're really going to miss. We're going to miss you. We're going to miss you all. That's why the author of Psalm 16, he says, my delight is in the saints of the land. He says, I love God's people. That's what we love, is God's people here, is this flock, and you know, we wouldn't have chosen, the, we wouldn't have picked this place, but God picked it for us. God led us here, and it's been a privilege and an honor to walk alongside you in this pilgrimage to glory as we all grow from one degree to another in glory, as we all mature in Christ, and one day we will be together forever in heaven. And You all have been a wonderful family to be with, and you've cared for us. You've cared for our children. There's been times I've been on mission trips, and I'll I'll text Betsy, and I'll find out she's been taken out for the night or someone's brought over dinner. And, of course, two of our children were born here. And I don't know if South Carolina's ready for our Jersey girls. We'll find out. You guys can pray about that, too. But uh, they they better get ready. But... You know, that's what we'll miss, and that's what we'll cherish, and that's another lesson that God always knows best. You know, man plans his steps, but God knows best, and with God, the glass is always half full because he's sovereign, and he's good, and he's directing, and he's leading, and that's what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying to us is that God's in control. So instead of using all your you know, intellectual powers and abilities and all of this stuff and finances to try to control your future. It's actually much better if you just sit back and let God lead. Let him show the way because he'll do it and he'll be faithful. You know, let me, let me end with a final word as one of your pastors um, here on staff here at Grace Redeemer, making the most of our lives. Here's, here's my final Final exhortation to you all, my brothers and sisters in Christ. The author of Ecclesiastes, he says this in verse 12. We've looked at it here. He says, I know there is nothing better than for people to be happy and to do good while they live. All right. 
And then later on, he goes on, verses 14 to 17, he says, I know that everything will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. What has already been, uh, what is has already been, what will be has been before. And he says, God will bring everything into judgment. And some have, some scholars have looked at this part and, and even the whole book of Ecclesiastes, and they've said, really, the author is suggesting some kind of resignation toward life some kind of attitude that says, you know, kind of the, what are you going to do? You ever heard that expression before? You know, something happens. Oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And, you know, it's, but it's not, a, it's not an expression of trust in God's goodness. It's sort of this resignation about life. You know, que sera, sera, life's out of our control. It's a pessimistic way to read Ecclesiastes. But there's another way to read it. And I think it's the faithful way to read it, which is not that the author is being pessimistic or... He's, he's offering a sense of resignation toward life, but rather that he's giving a simple formula for the Christian life. It's a formula that goes like this, trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Have you heard that hymn before? Trust and obey, that is the simple message of the Christian life. The author of Ecclesiastes, he puts it like this, be happy or joyful, other translations, and do good while you live. He, he's saying this, in other words, embrace your context. Embrace where you are. Trust the sovereignty of God. Get up each morning and work hard for the Lord, trusting Him, obeying His word. Two final words to remember. First of all, resist. First of all, resist. In our day and age, it is so easy now to want to complain, to want to control, to look at social media and feel like if I just had this, if I just had this, if I didn't have to pay this, or if I didn't have to put up with this, and very easily into our lives can enter complaint and control, and I just, you know, why do I have to put up with this? And as believers... We can be people who are joyful in all circumstances. Now, the author has said that we're not going to be joyful every moment. There's a time to mourn. There's a time, but there's a time to be joyful too. And as believers who have Jesus, who have the gospel, we have all that we need. Paul says, he who's given us Christ, how will he not graciously with him give us all things? We have all things. So church, let's resist that desire to complain and to control, and instead let's embrace what God has given us. First of all, he's given us Jesus. He's given us all that we need. The author of Ecclesiastes knew to trust God in faith, but didn't have the same level of revelation that we have now that the Messiah has come. We have Christ. We have salvation. So let's embrace this salvation that we've been given. Let's embrace this mission that we've been given, and, and embrace all the facets of your life. Embrace the neighborhood God's put you in, the neighbors he's put around you above and below you, left and right. Embrace the job that you're in, whether it's the position you feel like you should be in or you deserve. Embrace the school system that you're in, your classmates, your teachers. Embrace the context that God has put you in, because as God is telling us in his word, it's his sovereign will that's put you there, and he wants you there. So embrace it and live for him. 
embrace this church. Embrace Grace Redeemer Church. You know, you know the saying, um, is Grace Redeemer perfect? No, but if you find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it. I mean, that's, and there's, it's just true. There isn't a perfect church. We know that. Embrace this local body of believers. You have a group of elders here that I've been privileged to serve alongside who love Jesus and whom you can entrust your spiritual care to. So embrace this context. Embrace the mission that God has given you. Don't look to the left or to the right, but look straight ahead, keeping your eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Trust and obey. Trust God. Obey his commands. Embrace the context that God has put you here. And as far as the Desch family goes, it's not a, it's not a, fair, it's a farewell for now. It's not a farewell forever. And we will always treasure our time here in your family. And I think we're still in the family, even if we're moving away. And, and we love you. And what else is there to say? But keep following after Jesus with all that you have. And he'll carry you all the way home. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Would you sow it deeply into our hearts? Would you help us to trust and obey and embrace the context that you have given us? Resist all that would entangle us and hinder our obedience and bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.